Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Matt Offenbacher. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing a lot better now that one of our friendly coworkers here, Andrew Hewitt, told me today is the day that the National Spelling Bee is taking place. Really? Are you a big follower? I have never been a follower, but I started thinking about it. And it's kind of like, so we started looking it up on our phones and apparently there's a friendly wager going on in our office. And so, yeah, there's bets being made on like who's going to rise to the top of this spelling bee. And the only time I've ever really seen spelling bee in action is like highlights or bloopers on Instagram or YouTube Mm. where like I almost fall over laughing because of the actions and reactions of the participants. And so it kind of got me excited and yet the stage and how much of a production is, it's a big deal. I mean, I think they had it on ESPN or something for a little while. And there's like, I think there's a documentary about how like, it's sort of like an inner circle. Like once you get to the national level, it's like, yeah, kind of what you think it might be sort of <laughs> culty and cutthroat. And right. so and as a parent, think of the bragging rights. It's like, oh, how's Johnny doing? Oh, we just got off stage and won the national championship in spelling. I would be like, whatever, if my kids wanted to do that, fine. But I would imagine just like sports, any opportunity to compete, whether it be in sports or spelling, parents can often get a little weird. And so yeah, I, I, I mean, can see the parents pushing their kids to spell like a lot. I mean, uh, look, yeah, obviously, whenever my kids do anything well, I want to take credit for it because (laughs) it obviously implies I'm doing something right. (laughs) Uh, I think it would be fun to watch again, like, you know, the Super Bowl for spelling. It's amazing. Aside from that, how's baseball? Baseball is good. You know, May was a good month for the Astros. They just finished up a sweep of the athletics, which. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it's the athletics, right? Like, it's pretty bad. They're a very bad team. Not so good. It was one of the relief pitchers in the dialogue. They were talking about how, like, a couple of years ago, like, he was pitching for a few different teams and then without a job, and he was working at Lululemon. Oh, wow. And then came back to the bigs. (laughs) So, (laughs) uh, good transition. Yeah. But at least he uh, stayed active in their active wear. I don't know. I just think about somebody who wants to play professional ball so badly. And just can't get over that hump. And then it's like, okay, you can come back, but you get to play for the A's. And it's like, you know, just, I don't know. But they're the team you're supposed to beat. And whenever people talk about, like, the Dodgers are doing awesome, it's like, right. But they've also played, like, way more teams below 500 than anyone else. So I still think they're an amazing, like, a very, very good team. I'm still scared of them. Don't get me wrong. But, like, because you need to beat bad teams and also beat the good teams. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, it was good that the Astros pulled that off. I was looking at tickets. Isn't when they play the Dodgers, it's going to be Saturday night, maybe July 1st. There's going to be like fireworks and stuff. There's a fireworks. Friday night. Game, every, right? every every Friday night is fireworks. Oh, maybe the one so, that I looked at, it said something to do with fireworks and the Dodgers. And so okay, uh, supposedly it's, it's we- going to be a great game. Okay. Yeah. Could be a weekend series. Dodgers. Yeah. yeah. Those games can be rough. Sure. No, because I know the Dodgers and us. Like, that's a I've, pretty big I've wi- been to. I've been to some, and it's, yeah. Have you ever got into it with another fan of the opposing team? I'm not that big, all right? Like, I need to be <laughs> with somebody much larger than, <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I get it. Yeah. No, you yeah, need your like, entourage. I, I get it. I've known for a long time to keep my mouth shut, okay? <laughs> you won't see Matt on the big screen at any of the Astros games blipping off some dude and then get sucker punched. So that's good. No, that's that's <laughs> not my scene for sure. <laughs> but you will see him in a nice suit. I will see that. Yes. Good deal. Well, we're not here to talk about the spelling bee or baseball, but it's good to just catch up on current events, right? But what I will say is, you know, at the end of every episode, we always encourage the listeners to engage with us on LinkedIn, send us an email on questions, because that's often where we get a lot of the good questions result in good answers. And it gives us an opportunity to hopefully educate whoever is asking the question. And so a big shout out to Cody Murphy, who sent us a message on LinkedIn. That's where that came from. So public knowledge. Gentleman was asking about trips and treatment. And so it's a good question. I think it's important that when we're, you know, about to make a trip, whether it's, you know, could be a few hundred feet or it could be two miles out in a lateral, it's really important to consider what the fluid is, how it's acting, some of the properties that may need adjusting and which ultimately result in, hey, we need to spend a little time circulating more so than we need to be to get the mud in shape. So, but to kind of wrap it up, the question essentially was, you know, how do you treat for trips, any routines or expectancy of when you get back on bottom, what that may look like? Because oftentimes if you come out of the hole and you go back in, that bottoms up could look a little spicy. So Matt, what do you think? Should we tackle this question? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I mean, you know, while we all love direct answers, I think everyone's learned from the flow line that we don't do that. It's always going to be, it depends. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about what it depends on. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right because there's so many I mean, it, it depends on the situation, right? And I think the question was more just generally speaking. It wasn't like well specific, but to answer the question, it, it depends on where you're at in the well. And so, yeah, Matt, how would we kind of, you know, to narrow it down, what are some, I guess, considerations or why it would depend? Well, I think, you know, there can be certain things that affect, you know, could if I'm going to be out of the hole for a while, for example. So let's say, you know, up in the Northeast, those rigs are rated to like 25,000 feet, I think. And they drill 30,000 foot measure depth wells. Well, that means you have to lay down pipe. Situations like that, where you could be out of the hole a lot longer than you thought if you've got to come all the way out and you can't rack everything back. Other times when you just know you're going to be out of the hole for a while, for whatever reason, yeah, that may sort of say, okay, you know what? I want some fresh, good condition mud because without circulation and treatment and that sort of thing, some things will could degrade a little bit. Yeah. And I don't want to, you know, the you know, the first question is, could they impact hole conditions running back in the hole? So, you know, is it gonna be more difficult to get back to bottom? Because that's the first thing, right? If I'm gonna live it's one thing to have to spend a little bit of time and it shouldn't take much once you're back on bottom. But if you're having trouble getting down there, that's a lot more rig time, it's a lot more work. It's the last thing you want to see. So if if there's any question with that, any type of treatment, then I definitely want to beef up. Yeah. So the way I would kind of tackle that is if I was on a rig, if you know you're about to make a trip, I would really get as close a mud check to the point of making that call of coming out of the hole to see if the mud is in spec. If your mud program and the agreed plan of action is to have a, you know, an X fluid loss and you're out of spec. Well, then I would address that with, you know, the onsite representative say, hey, look, we've been drilling like crazy. You know, the derrick hands have been trying to keep up, but, you know, this property is slowly drifting away. It's not going to hurt the well if we keep drilling, but 
you know, if we're out of the hole for more than 12 hours, this is a property that I'd like to adjust before we come out of the hole. So then, you know, have that conversation and say, hey, can you give me some time to get some treatment in to make sure the mud is in spec before coming out of the hole? Now, there's several properties that, you know, would be looked at. But again, just generally speaking, make sure your mud meets program specs before coming out of the hole. That's the one thing that I would really key in on. Yeah. And I would add, you know, short of thermal effects, mud generally, you know, I'll repeat short of thermal effects, generally mud doesn't change too much during that time period. And, you know, we certainly know this. I've certainly observed it when we've been drilling. And the nice thing about being in spec and knowing it's not going to change too much is any plans you've done on hydraulics, anything like that, if you're in spec, you can basically say all my upfront planning, if I ran hydraulics before the well to make sure everything was good, and I'm running them again with my real-time data, if everything looks good, I can be very, fairly confident as long as we stay in program, you know, as long as we're in spec and we come out of the hole, we should be in pretty good shape when we get back in. Right. So that's a big caveat, but it's one of those, why invite trouble if you're relying on best practices through your program. So mm-hmm. if you're out of spec or you're drifting and you're right on the margin and it could affect hole conditions, it could affect something else, you know, more serious than, yeah, go ahead and add a little treatment. I'd start there. And guess what? If it's in great shape when you run back in, you don't have to do anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah. So first thing, if your mud's out of spec, you know, relative to the program, get that back in line. Another thing I would really consider is what are your hole conditions looking like while you're, you know, about to make that trip? where you have an erratic torque, where you're having maybe some pump pressure, you know, fluctuations, what is the well telling you? And so if there's something abnormal that you've recognized, well, maybe a treatment might be something like, okay, let's pump a couple hole cleaning sweeps, or, you know, it's real sticky and there's a plan of action to, you know, try and reduce torque or again, like whether it be increased lubricity or, you know, again, there's like so many different things we can talk about here, but what is the well doing? How is the well acting before coming out of the hole? Because it might say, hey, let's spend another few bottoms up treating for X, Y, Z, whatever the well's telling you at the time. And so I would be very cognizant of, you know, looking at whether it's Payson or whatever. I always just use Payson, but Canadian. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So whatever your surface parameters are looking like, talk to with the driller. Hey, how's the hole acting on connections? Are you, you know? Yeah, I mean- Great example. The other day we had a customer and they were drilling, they set their casing into the subsequent formation. So they drill into an overpressured zone and guess what? You get those splintery cavings coming across. Well, what do you need to do if you come across? Well, you know, wait up Mm -hmm. before you come out of the hole. Yeah. So you have two things. You have a huge mass of cavings that you don't want to pack off, right? Getting out of the hole and, you know, infill when you go in. But then the other part of it was simply having sufficient mud weight to stabilize the well before you come out of the hole. So that is, you know, if you will, it's a hole cleaning issue, but it's also a drilling fluid treatment issue because you need the right mud weight. And when you start drilling again, you want to have the right mud weight. Yeah, that's a good point. And oftentimes too, especially again, where you're at in the well, what kind of well design, what kind of pressures you're seeing, there may be a plan to bump the mud weight a little bit to help give you a little extra hydrostatic on your way out of the hole. So yeah, that would be, you know, a treatment. Hey, let's add a couple tenths or add a tenth before we come out of the hole because we're kind of right on that fine line and we don't, you know, with the rates that we're coming out of the hole, we don't want to swab the hole. So mm-hmm. there may be that that you do. But again, that wouldn't be, just be something that a money engineer, hey, I'm just going to bump the mud weight up. Again, it's, you got to be adaptive and sometimes reactive, but in terms of being proactive, which is what we all want is just pay attention to what the hole is telling you. 
you know, another good point here, Matt, is how much further do you have to drill before you get to TD? So if, you know, if all of a sudden the motor, you know, bonks out on you a thousand feet from TD, but yet you're, something's out of line, well, okay, have a conversation. Is it worth the time to treat it now? Can we get our, you know, especially if you're, say, an oil-based mud, you may have a little bit more wiggle room than if you were, you know, using a water-based mud. But if you're close to TD, have those conversations of, is it worth doing it now or can we just wait till we get back in and drill that last thousand feet? Yeah. Right. There's kind of that trade off. And so, Matt, anything else that comes to mind that sort of things we'd want to look at before making a decision? I think reactive formations, you know, you just sort of reminded me of some of your inhibitors and that sort of thing deplete, right? So mm-hmm. make sure you're beefed up. If you plan on running a hole and drilling ahead right away, trying to get those things up when everybody wants to start turning to the right. You may as well just have that where you want it to be and make sure you're not all depleted. Gels is another one. So if you have really progressive gels, that's going to affect your surge pressures going back in the hole. Mm -hmm. It can affect, you know, if we're going to run casing and cement, is that the fluid I want down hole? So I think some of those things, you know, go ahead and take care of it. I think I'm also willing to flip it on its head and say, sometimes it's not worth it. You know, I was involved in some wells we drilled in the Middle East that were quite hot and they didn't use a fluid that was stable to the bottom hole temperature. Mm. What they did was it was water-based mud. It was relatively cheap. All we wanted was something that didn't lock up under high temperature. And all we did was anything that sat in that lower section of the well at the temperature where the mud was stable. When we got back on bottom, we just circulated, diverted that stuff, and then introduced fresh fluid. Yeah. So at that point, even though you had like thermal degradation of some products and that sort of thing... Overall, your hole volume where you had this high temperature was relatively small, and it was simply cheaper to just let that chemical burn up, dump it, and introduce something new. Hmm. So sometimes you just may straight up say, I don't want to treat any of this at all. Yeah. No, that's an interesting point. And kind of something that I thought of while you were saying that is with a water-based mud, if you have a high gel content in your mud, and I mean, you're obviously watching your gel strengths, but... I would make sure that your fluid isn't dehydrated before making a trip because that's one thing that I would note, you know, again, I've seen it happen. And if you're in an area where it's prone to losses, if you're dehydrated, if you're starting to see progressive gels, your fluid may be getting a little bit dehydrated, whatever. But I always make sure on a water-based mud, especially if you can be out of the hole for a while, because from what I noticed, when you go back in, it can be, you got to hit it pretty hard with water to get things back hydrated. So something else that I thought of with oil-based mud, typically that's not an issue unless you know, again, like I haven't seen really dehydrated oil-based mud. Maybe it exists, but I just have never been experienced with that. So I don't know. Can oil-based mud dehydrate? You can lose water to steam, you know, without like a warm flood, but like- But not in the same sense as- You have other problems and yeah, you have other problems at that point too. So- Sure. Yeah. But obviously not in the same sense as a water-based mud because yeah, you're losing it to steam and that's kind of a funny debate too, is like how much volume are you losing to steam and evaporation, but that's a whole nother topic on, yeah. on old base mud losses, like volume accounting. I have spreadsheets. They're fun. <laughs> yeah. But again, and so, you know, again, that's a really, you know, a good question, but kind of tough to answer. You know, if there was a, a certain well specific app, you know, question, then it'd be easy. So hopefully we're answering it, Matt. And any other considerations or, you know, treatment? The one other one actually that pops into my head is if you're going to log, there may be some specific parameters that you would need to meet for the logging company. For but sure. again, that will have been laid out in the well planning stages. Oftentimes you'll increase the viscosity. Again, this is not 
you know, in stone, but oftentimes there's practices where you'll increase the viscosity and make it real thick for logging operations. Yeah. And tighten the fluid loss because they like getting stuck. Um, so <laughs> yeah, right. they have that somewhere in their SOPs, but you may as well just assume that they're going to try and get stuck given how long they want to sit static yeah. against the formation. But, you know, the other thing is how are you going to get back in the hole, right? So if you're going to stage in, Obviously, like you have less and less to worry about because your whole downhole system, once you get to bottom, isn't a very small overall proportion of the fluid is actually diminished or what have you because you, you've circulated some up to treat it if you mm -hmm. stage in. The other thing is you can still treat your surface volume, right? So you're effectively displacing a lot of that material that's immediately downhole fairly quickly. So if the hole conditions allow you to get to bottom, you can probably bring that stuff back into shape because most of your circulating system hopefully is in reasonably good shape. But it circles back to, you know, yes, you can treat surface, but we also know there's a lot of good things you can do when you get, you know, chemicals through a bit. Yeah, exactly. So, and all of what we're saying obviously doesn't include spotting anything. Like if yeah. you're taking losses, oh, I'm going to treat the system to like, we're just talking typical coming out of the hole. What should we look for? What should we consider? And so, you know, I encourage the conversation to keep going if there was something that, you know, more specific you were looking for. But again, those are sort of the conversations and the discussions and sort of thought process that I would have and that I've had on a rig. But for the most part, Again, speaking in generalities here, if your mud's in good shape and you've been doing a good job maintaining the properties, making your treatments, there shouldn't typically be anything serious that you have to treat that for coming out of the hole. Again, it's very well specific, scenario specific, but assuming everything's going smooth, you're making your treatments, you know, you shouldn't really need to spend a ton of time treating the mud before coming out of the hole. Yeah, I think it's one of those if you start out strong, even if you lose a little bit on properties, yeah, you're much better off than if you know, the mud looks like garbage. Somebody says, oh, we'll just treat it when we get back down hole. I, I probably would be reluctant to do that if I'm way out of my program parameters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Matt, that's about it for me. Any closing last words for the audience? No, I think that's good. It kind of kicks around a number of different thoughts and, yeah, you know, thinking through it. It very much depends on your well, but there's a lot of considerations for any given well. Yeah, and if there's a specific situation or, you know, a question that you'd like to answer or us elaborate on, please head us up. We'd love to do it. And with that said, everyone, thanks again for listening. And thanks again for the engagement, asking the good questions. It always spurs some good conversation with us here in the lab. And with that being said, take care for now. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.